Welcome to the second episode of Royals Review Radio. I'm your host, Max Reaper. I'm the editor-in-chief of Royals Review, part of the SB Nation network of blogs. You can find us on the web at www.royalsreview.com. Well, we had so much fun doing our first podcast that we decided to come back and do a second one. And uh, I can honestly say this might be one of the best podcasts we've ever done. Uh, first, in our first segment, we'll talk to uh, two of our writers. We'll have Sean Newkirk back to talk prospects, as well as uh, Matthew Lamar to talk about spring training so far. And uh, later on, we'll have Chris Kamler, who's better known as the Fake Ned on Twitter, and he'll discuss his new book out on the Royals and their uh, magical season last year and his experience hosting Sung Woo Lee, the Royal superfan from Korea. So uh, joining me now is the first two-time guest in the history of Royals Review Radio, Sean Newkirk. Sean, how does it feel to be back for a second appearance? It's good, good, good. I feel like I'm just hitting my stride right now. So, <laughs> Well, it's good. We'll follow Sean on Twitter at... Uh, Sean Core, S-H-A-U-N-C-O-R-E. Uh, also joining us for the first time is Matthew Lamar. How are you tonight, Matthew? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Uh, you can follow Matthew at, uh, on Twitter at Lamar, L-A-M-A-R, underscore Matt, M-A-T-T. Well, uh, this is our first podcast we've had since uh, the team started doing actual baseball-related activities. And uh, they're off to a pretty good start in the Cactus League. And, but we've seen them kind of play well in Arizona before only to kind of fall with a thud when the regular season action uh, came around. Uh, and they actually had a losing season last year in the Cactus League, only to go on to win the American Independent, of course. So, Matthew, you've been kind of, I know you've been following the games a little bit. You do the game threads. Uh, is there anything that you take away from spring training at all? I know the results maybe don't matter, but is there anything you're kind of looking at uh, with the games? Well, in one way, it's a little bit like... Um uh, whose line is it anyway, and that everything's made up and the points don't matter. Um, the, the hard thing about judging uh, spring training by results is that there are a lot of moving parts. There are major leaguers, uh, rehabbing major leaguers, minor leaguers who are competing to make the team. There's also minor leaguers, like in the Royals case, Boba Starling, who um, aren't really close to making the team. Um, <laughs> there are major leaguers who are uh, heavily working on um, pitches or mechanical tweaks. My favorite uh, anecdote about that is uh, Zach Granke in 2009, before he won the AL Cy Young and had the best uh, season by a pitcher in a decade, had an ERA of over nine in spring training. Um, so on one hand, um, the results are there's just so much stuff going on. So are you saying that Edison Valquez is going to win the Cy Young Award this year? Say what? You think Edison Valquez is going to win the Cy Young Award? Uh, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> Has anybody with the last name of V uh, won the Cy Young? Uh, Fox, Fox will probably have Oh, Verlander. Yeah. <laughs> Verlander, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but on the other hand, uh, I think it's important to watch and see what's going on because you can tell generally uh, what players are working on and um, – and working towards, like, we've heard this spring about Mike Moustakas uh, wanting to go the other way. And uh, whether or not he's successful in the games um, is sort of secondary to the uh, the notion that he's cognizant of the fact that he's a pole hitter and is trying to uh, beat the shift and bunt to the other side. Um, so it, it's it's a mixed bag, but, you know, it's, it's fun to see baseball again. Yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, I think we have seen a couple of opposite field hits from Moustakas. Whether or not it can carry on to the regular season, I don't know. I think, uh, it does kind of remind me, I, I was listening to an interview like last week at eight, on 810 about Moustakas, and they were saying, you know, he just, you know, he is kind of notorious for hitting the cover off the ball and 
spring training and then not doing so well in the regular season. And mm-hmm. he was saying that he, he, hit, he hit the ball well in Arizona last year, and he got to the regular season, and he was just, um, you know, the team put on an exaggerated shift on him, and he was just he was just stunned. <laughs> it's like he never thought people would do that against him. And I guess it got in his dome and <laughs> just threw him off. Um, I guess the primary goal of most teams in spring training is to avoid injuries, which the Royals have kind of not been able to do so far already. Uh, they've already lost pitcher Tim Collins. Uh, when they revealed last week he had Tommy John surgery because of ligament damage, and he'll miss the entire 2015 season. Uh, Sean, you wrote that the Royals may not even miss Collins that much. Who do you expect kind of to fill his role, and uh, how will the Royals overcome his injury? Yeah, it seems like Morales is going to make the roster, uh, and he Franklin Morales. Yeah, he pitched Franklin Morales. He pitched perfectly for the left-handed role there. He might even be a little, little more. On command, a little more spot, better than uh, than Collins, who's spotty at times. So, I mean, it, it sucks if you have a guy go down injury like Collins. But I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there's someone to fill it out that hopefully doesn't have to mean that Finnegan um, ends up in the bullpen rather than you know in the minors where he needs to be starting and, and uh, working on his stuff. And they haven't they haven't uh, officially made a decision on Finnegan yet, but it seems like uh, they're at least leaning towards having him start out in the minors. Uh, well, we may, we, talk, we may talk a little bit more about Finnegan later when we talk about prospects, but uh, I did have that piece last week about his development and whether or not he should start out in the bullpen or the starting rotation. And uh, My argument was that, hey, it may not be that big a deal if he starts out in the bullpen. Now, if it was up to me, he probably would start out in the minors to work on some things, and there was some pushback to that. Uh, uh, Matthew, what do you think? Should should Finnegan be starting out in the, in the bullpen, or should he be heading to Omaha or Northwest Arkansas to work on his pitches? Um, I think he should go to the minors. Um, whether it's uh, Arkansas or Omaha is uh, not that big of a deal, in my opinion, uh, because he could be called up to go in the relief role uh, pretty easily from either place. Um, I think he'll, he should be in, in the minors. Uh, the, the Royals don't really have um, – they don't have a lot of uh, – starting pitcher depth. I mean, I know they've got Zimmer, and I know they've got Manea, but uh, Zimmer's been hurt a lot. Um, and Manea, um, you know, he's still uh, still pretty new. I mean, last year was his first uh, full-time season in the minors. And, um, yeah, so I, I would really like to see Finnegan uh, be in the minors, and that way he can develop his um, his secondary pitches, which are really what you need to succeed as a starter in the major leagues, um, you can get by in relief with, you know, a fastball and a breaking pitch like a curveball or slider. But, you know, it's really hard to get opposite-handed hitters without a changeup. And, um, you know, he didn't really use that very much in his time in Kansas City. And plus, um, you know, I think for what his role would be in the bullpen, um, like uh, a loogie, a left-handed guy who you know gets gets other lefties out. Um, there are other people who can do that specifically as good or roughly as good as Finnegan uh, for cheaper, like Franklin Morales. Um, so, I mean, it's not like it would be a different case if the Royals didn't have Holland or Wade Davis or Herrera, and Finnegan was going to be their closer setup guy. He's he's just not. They've got enough depth in the bullpen that. Um, they can put him in the minors and call him back if they need to. Yeah, I think that makes the easiest case for keeping him in the minors just because they have that depth. Uh, I guess my, my point is only that, you know, there's a lot we don't know about pitcher development, and 
there have been guys that have started out in the bullpen, like Chris Sale and Adam Wainwright, that ended up becoming good starting pitching. Uh, some of the comments, I think, made good arguments. So I think, in particular, Gopher Balls talk about how Finnegan had basically no minor league track record. I mean, he only yep. had a couple starts of life in the minors. Uh, so he could probably use that time to work out in the minors a little bit, work on his changeup. Uh, John, just real quickly, what, what do you think of Finnegan's stuff, and what would he have to work on in the minors? Yeah, it's basically just all changeup at this point. Uh, right. as, as Matt said, with being a lefty, getting out righty, the biggest piece. In the minor, just a really small sample size, but he was awesome against lefties, uh, had about a 100-point um, average spread, about 100 points higher against righties, but – which still, I think it was in the low 240s anyways. But, um, yeah, just working on secondary stuff, mainly the change-up. I don't think innings are a big thing for him as far as he needs to just build up innings. Obviously, you know, we want him to pitch, but, again, he's been pitching since last, what was it, almost two summers ago uh, when he was on Team USA and then started getting college. So he's got a ton of innings still underneath his hand there. So, um, yeah, working on his change-up would be the big thing and using it. You know, he really didn't use it at all uh, in the in the majors. So, really needs to use it in the majors going forward. Uh, going back to kind of camp and the injuries, uh, one player that's kind of had uh, nagging injuries going back to last year is Omar Infante uh, when he had kind of a bum shoulder that affected his season last year. He's already had in camp this year, he's kind of had a bum elbow. Um, Matthew, is this going to be an issue with Omar Infante all season, and should we expect Christian Cologne to get some major playing time at second base this year? Um, I would I would expect Christian Colon to get major playing time, uh, period, whether it's at second base or otherwise. I think um, the Royals are finally in a position um, where they can use him and Colon can benefit from that. Um, as for Infante, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. He's he's an aging second baseman, and uh, guys in their mid-30s just uh, get injured more often. That's just how it works, and... You never know. I mean, it might be a nagging thing all season long where he plays every game, but, you know, he's bad, much like um, this this past season where Infante was battling injuries. Or if he's out um, and Cologne is put in at second, um, either way, it's not good because uh, depth is always something that you want. And personally, although I, it would be more fun for me to see what Cologne can do at second and maybe better for the Royals long term if they know what they have in Cologne, um, it's... It's not good, and I don't really think Infante is going to be terribly healthy for the rest of his contract, which is not good because that's a lot of money. There's only three more years left on it. So. Right. <laughs> uh, I was listening to the uh, A10 this week, and they they kind of alluded to the Royals not being totally confident with Cologne's defense, and they were kind of hyping up uh, Ryan Roberts and Ryan Jackson to uh, minor league free agent non-roster invitees the Royals brought into camp. Uh, Sean, do you foresee a scenario where maybe Cologne doesn't even make the club? And we and what I mean, should we expect anything out of Ryan Roberts and Ryan Jackson? Uh, Cologne making the club, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I like Cologne. I, you know, he's probably not a, a very good player. You know, maybe at best, uh, you know, league average. So, um, but I mean, Ryan Roberts is basically the exact same as Cologne as far as maybe at bat and uh, maybe even in the field there. And and Jackson really kind of – I mean, there's really not a big difference between the three as far as on the field defensively and offensively. I mean, none of them – either the three project to be better than – I mean, even 85, 90 WRC+. plus. I mean, I think Jackson's even worse than that. So, 
want to go with upside, maybe Roberts, because he's had some, you know, 20, I think he had a 20 home run season, but. He's in his, what, mid-30s by now, 34 years old, I think? Yeah, 34, right. So, I mean, if you want to try and tap into that and strike, you know, lightning in a bottle again, but really it's Cologne above those other two, to me at least. Yeah. Uh, Going back to injuries, uh, Luke Hochaver is another guy coming off injury. He missed the entire 2014 season with Tommy John surgery, and the club has kind of indicated not all that likely he'll be ready for opening day, but probably shortly thereafter. Uh, Matthew, do you expect any bumps in the road with Tommy with uh, Luke Hochaver coming back from uh, Tommy John surgery, or do you, do you think he'll be bounced back to the 2013 Luke Hochaver that was pretty dominant? Um, I would certainly like that latter part because 2013 Hochaver was really, really good. Um, and he just makes what's already a pretty good bullpen even even better. Um, I think he might show up shortly after. You know, they might put put him on the 14-day DL, and he could, you know, be there not, not that long later. Um, so if he's not on opening day, it, it doesn't seem to me like there are any setbacks going on and that he'll, like, uh, slip into May or June. It, does, it doesn't seem like that. Um, so I think we'll see Hochaver pretty quickly. Um, whether he'll be good, um, it's hard to tell. Um, but I think... If the velocity is back, I think he can regain um, what he has done in the bullpen. Um, that way, he can focus on what he does best, and he can he can limit what he has to work on. Um, and he's I mean he's got good fastball speed, and he's got a great slider. So, um, yeah, Hochaver has just always been an enigma. He had that one complete game where he threw 82 pitches, and then he had another game where he threw 13 strikeouts. So he's, he was he's, always turning the corner, you know. Yes, it's yeah. Yeah. is a weird one, but I, I personally, um, I'm rooting for him personally, just outside my uh, analytical uh, mindset. I, I, I'd really like to see him do well. And I've always liked Coach Ever too, and I, you know, when when the Royals took him in 2006 as the first number one overall pick. Uh, I was actually I was I endorsed that I thought he was the best pitcher available, uh, even over guys like Clayton Kershaw and Tim Lincecum and um, guys that ended up having better careers. But I don't I don't know I guess I'm in the minority I think on this. But I I, just, I thought that was kind of a bad contract to re-sign him to. Uh, they signed him to a two-year, ten million dollar contract this past winter, and I don't know just coming off Tommy John surgery, knowing that he only has one year of solid relief work under his belt. Uh, I just, I thought that was, that was a lot of money, especially when they didn't need to take that kind of gamble with the, the bullpen depth they had. And, you know, say what you will about Dayton Moore, but he's always been able to kind of get bullpen pieces together, usually for not a lot of money. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm hoping, I'm cheering for Luke. I'm hope, I hope he bounces back and it's, it's, you know, he was really good in 2013. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to see. Um, just one of the last injuries it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but Jeffrey Flanagan tweeted out kind of casually that uh, pitching prospect Sean Manaya, Sean you referenced earlier, he had an abdominal strain, uh, but he should be ready to go by April. Uh, so that's kind of a good segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is the Royals' prospects. Um, this may not be a big deal, but Sean, do you think an abdominal strain will affect Manaya's mechanics at all? And what? What are you kind of looking for him? Um, they kind of said he might be a fast mover this year. What, what are you looking for out of uh, Manai in 2015? Yeah, I don't know if I want to see him in the majors in 2015. I, I, I do really like him, and um, he was my number one prospect for the Royals there. And he just – it'd be great if he was in the majors as far as – which means he had accelerated on his path and he is ready for it. But 
if they're slow with him and, you know, if he's not here for 2015, that's fine. Um, it might be likely if, you know, September gets called, comes around and gets called up or if, you know, Volquez ends up being the normal Volquez that we know there. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the strain itself, you know, he's just been ticked with injuries just on and off. And they've always been kind of not necessarily minor ones. The, the hip injury, you know, required surgery, but, you know, it was because he rolled his ankle, then he hurt his hip, then he had some soreness there. So he's kind of been like an Omar Infante the past couple of years there, but a much younger one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I really want to see him in double A. I'm going to make it down to Northwest Arkansas, hopefully the first weekend to play there so I can catch him and maybe Almonte and a couple other prospects there. But, uh, yeah, I I hope he does make it to the majors, but I'd rather him not, you know, rather than them push him and accelerate him, I'm, I'm okay with giving him there because he's got command to work on he still needs to do, especially with his long kind of lanky arms and everything there. Yeah, I think the, the good thing about them having a lot of starting pitching depth this year with, with uh, the five guys in rotation and Chris Young and Chris Medlin is that, yeah, I think you're right. Sean Manaya doesn't Manaya does not have to be rushed at all. I think you know five years ago Manaya could skyrocket and be you know pitching in Yankee Stadium by August. But um, <laughs> I think they're gonna I think they can afford to take it slow with this guy. And I'm with you. I I think he's the best prospect they have right now. I think he's got electric stuff. Um, I really like his 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 uh, delivery where he kind of throws across his body a little bit. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Bumgarner. Um, it's kind of a deceptive delivery that's hard to pick up. Yep. And uh, but you're right. I think command is definitely what he needs to work on. What what, what kind of secondary stuff does, does he have at this point? You know. Um, he's really just fastball slider. The mm-hmm. changeup is is there. Um, mainly it's maybe hovers around average, dips below some games, and um, it could. I've seen some reports say it's you know potential maybe 60 grade, which would put him really at 360s or three above average pitches across the board. Um, but really right now he's just got his really good fastball. Um, he's got the pretty good slider there, and he just kind of needs to work on the changeup, which I think gets a little firm, as they say sometimes, um, which he needs to really work on there. So that's his big pitch is his changeup, kind of like Finnegan there. Yeah. Well, talking about p- top pitching prospects, I think the guy that would be at, a lot, at a top, the top of many lists for the Royals, if he was healthy, is Kyle Zimmer. Uh, unfortunately, he just seems to just suffer from injury after injury. He had, uh, uh, I believe it was a shoulder surgery this past offseason, uh, Matthew, do you still have hope that Kyle Zimmer can be a a pretty good, healthy major leaguer? Uh, I mean, he's still pretty young, but but uh, the clock is certainly ticking on him. Right. Um, I think uh, that he is the he's the best pitcher in the Royals system if he's healthy, and I think that's I think pretty much most people would agree with that. He's more advanced than than I um, and and anybody else. Um, and it's really weird because when he was drafted, he was a somewhat recent uh, move to pitcher, and people thought, you know, this is a guy with not a lot of mileage on his arms, and he should be healthy, and he's got great mechanics. Um, and it's just been the opposite of that. He's just had random injuries, you know, to his arm and his shoulder, and, you know, I assume his spleen, but I don't really know. Um, <laughs> you know, just like everything. And I guess uh, what I'm concerned about with Zimmer, uh, unlike unlike Manaya, Manaya had that hip injury and um, you know the abdominal thing now, um, but neither of those are arm injuries. So unless his mechanics get thrown out of whack, um, you know that's that's a lot safer. Um, is that his arm is still healthy, and Zimmer's Zimmer's had shoulder issues, which is is not good. Um, so 
I think if he's healthy, he's great and can make the majors this year and can be part of the Royals' second consecutive uh, World Series run. <laughs> um, but I, I personally am pretty low on him. I think he's, he's just going to be one of those guys that's going to be injured. I think he might make the uh, the majors. Uh, I think he'll probably will make the majors, even if even as a reliever. But um, I don't know. Some people just get injured more than others, and there's I don't know why, and I don't think anybody knows why. But until Zimmer can prove that he's healthy, um, he's he's just always going to be a question mark. Yeah, I, I sense a lot of frustration on the Royals' part because I think they drafted him with the expectation that he would be a very fast riser. I think there's even some talk he'd be in the majors the very next year. And he's just had setback after setback, and it's got to be frustrating for them, frustrating for him as well. Uh, and I think you're right, though. I think he could be a fast riser, but, you know, will he have to end up being a reliever because of his injury problems? I don't know. I mean, he could be, maybe he could be the next Wade Davis, which would be great, but I think your, your hope is that still that he'd be a quality frontline starting pitcher because the Royals are going to need those as well. Right. Um, talking about starting pitchers, uh, Miguel Almonte, uh, Kyle Zimmer, our own Jeff Zimmerman, reported that Miguel, Miguel Almonte had an increase in velocity, went up about three miles per hour, and he was hitting about 97 on the gun. Uh, Sean, do you take much credence to that? Is that just kind of spring training hype, or is there something to that? Yeah, I think it's mainly just early season um, velocity coming back. Um, and my basis is, you know, um, while it is early season, and Brooks Baseball does show 97 on there, Baseball Prospectus has um, has kind of a running log of all their scouting reports, and he shows up consistently. I think almost every year in May, they've got a couple guys who um, C.J. Whitman, who covers the Carolina League there, um, he's seen him multiple times. Jason Park has seen him multiple times, and they're always in May, um, and he was at 96, 97 of those outings. So I think it's more of just early season rather than um, a, a velo there. But I mean, if he can consistently hold that, because as makes sense. Um, a lot of his other kind of pitch effects readings from Brooks Baseball, I think there were 93s or 94s there. Um, they came in October during like the Arizona Fall League and, and the like. But if he can maintain that, you know, for even get down to maybe 95, 96 or so, that's spectacular for him, his chances of staying in the rotation there for me. Yeah, I also wonder if, if you know, in the spring a lot of times they have shorter outings and maybe I don't know if guys are just kind of gassing it because they know they're only out for an inning or two. Uh, you know, like Wade Davis is a much better reliever in one inning of work than he was as a starting pitching over, you know, five or six innings. Uh, what, what do you think Almonte uh, pitches this year? Um, I think double-A uh, would, would make sense there. Um, he was pretty pretty good in the uh, in the Carolina League. You know, no really reason for him to to return to Wilmington, which is such a pitcher-friendly park and a pitcher-friendly league. You know, his command was much better than I've really seen it before um, through stretches in the Carolina League there, and I – he ended uh, the overall season, I think, with about a two and a half or two six or so um, walks per nine, which is great for him. And yeah, I think he probably needs to just go to Double A at this point and really face more advanced bats. Same thing with you know Zimmer and and, and Manaya and um, well Benford's already been there, but a couple pitchers. I think that's really where they get tested is Double A. Um, and you know it's just such an extreme pitchers park. Wilmington is that. You like the results, but you're really looking for more reports than results at that level there. And that could be a pretty loaded Northwest Arkansas team. Yeah. They have all those guys, all those top prospects on the same team. Uh, I wanted, you can't talk about Royals prospects without talking about kind of a lightning rod, and that's Bubba Starling, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Kevin Ruprecht had a piece last week about his high, high strikeout rate. Uh, 
Matthew, is is Bubba Starling going to pan out at all? What do, what do, you, what do you see the future of uh, his professional career being? Because they say his glove can play right now, but it's just a matter of him making contact. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the thing. And the fact that um, that he's not hitting that much is not that big of a deal to me. It's the way that he's not hitting much. He's just striking out a lot, you know, like 30% in the minors, which is... <laughs> Which is quite a bit, and um, I, Bubba Starling's obviously plenty athletic, and he can do everything that you would want him to do. He's he's a good base runner. He's a great fielder. He's got an arm. He's he's fast. He's got the glove. He's got good uh, instincts in the outfield. But um, hitting the baseball is is the key. And the 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 frustrating thing about about Starling is. Um, is that he just needs to be a bad hitter at the major league level to be really valuable. Um, you know, if he, even if he's a bad hitter, like 20% below average, you know, he's got enough of the other stuff, um, the the defense and whatnot, um, to be, you know, an, a, a two-win uh, player. Uh, he's He's just... It's really frustrating because nobody seems to know what's going on. The Royals have changed his his stance... 47,000 times. Um, it's, I, I do think that eventually he will make the major leagues and he'll at least be a backup outfielder because he's, mm-hmm. he's just got so much, uh, so much athletic talent and defensive skill that it's hard not to see him make the major leagues when there are, you know, uh, a dozen guys who are backup outfielders on major league teams that have no bat but are pretty good glove guys. Like Gerard um, Dyson, for example. Right, yeah, although Dyson's probably a better hitter. Yeah, and he's got a little bit better eye for yeah. strikes on it seems like. Yeah. So I, I I think that Bubba Starling will eventually make the the major leagues in that capacity. But whether or not he will stay around to do so, um I I, I don't know. It's 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 really hard and it's again really frustrating cuz he's exactly the type of story that you want to make the major leagues and yeah, succeed at the major league level. I think we're all I mean, a lot of people are rooting for him not only because he's a local kid, but just because you know he does have a tremendous amount of raw talent. Uh, and his, as far from what I understand, his bo- his bonus is all paid out. I mean, he can yeah. walk tomorrow to the University of Nebraska and play quarterback for them, but he's still in camp. Uh, Sean, you, you you've been following his career. What I mean, obviously he strikes out a lot. Is there anything you, we can diagnose and say that he's doing wrong, or um, you know, what kind of what kind of he's still kind of an upside. That, that we saw with him when he was taken in the first round a couple years ago. Yeah, you know, I it was discussed maybe a year and a half or two back. Uh, Jason Parks had a report where he saw him and he he just pegged it, and I, I I totally agreed. And it never I never thought about it until it was brought up where um, you know with some plate discipline and mainly pitch recognition is is a, truly a skill set that some players have, some players don't. Some players can work on it. Those who don't can work and gain a little bit. But you can never really go from, you know, Bubba Starling to Joey Votto. You just have to have there. So mm-hmm. a big thing with Starling, it seems like, was brought out at that point was it was maybe a neurological thing. That's a, the reason that, you know, he just can't recognize spin. He can't recognize pitches there. Um, he went through LASIK to try and help that. And it didn't really seem – I think he had a hot streak for like two weeks right after he came off of LASIK. And everybody goes, oh, great, it worked. Mm-hmm. But then he kind of went back to being Starling there. Um, man, because if it's neurological, that's really it. I mean, he's you're going to have to try and 
hope that maybe one year his Babbitt's high enough that he can, you know, strike out 30% of the time, <laughs> have a plus 20 run defense season. I mean, just to even get to two wins or two and a half or one and a half or so. But um, working on it, I mean, is just hoping that it is a neurological, hoping that it is just him taking his time. He was spectacular raw when he came out of the draft. I mean, easily one of the best Midwest players there, um, along with Bundy. And, uh, um, and so and he was from a cold weather state, so he just didn't face the competition that even close to the competition that maybe he even saw in rookie ball. Um, some people compare rookie ball to like the SEC in college. And Darlene had, a, I think, about a 130 WRC plus in rookie ball, so he was fairly good for his first start out. But yeah, I mean, if it's neurological, that might be the book on him. Otherwise, you're just hoping that he's just slowly evolving there. Um, he's began to strike out again in Arizona Fall League, so or um, in spring training here. So, yeah, you know, it's we'll just see. I, it's frustrating. I don't know. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> well, another guy that kind of gets the scouts drooling, uh, but maybe had a disappointing season last year was Raul Mondesi. Uh, he's arrived in the Royals camp. Was invited to major league camp. He's already been. Sent back down to minor league camp, where I'm sure he'll be sent to probably double A AA or class A ball. Uh, but he showed up with 15 pounds of muscle. Uh, but he had he had kind of a disappointing season last year in Wilmington, Sean. Why do scouts what do scouts see in him, and what kind of comp do you see for him in the majors? Man, he looks he looks so. This is this is weird to say, but he looks so good. I was really <laughs> blown away when I first saw him. He has grown even since I I watched a, a game, the Arizona Fall League Championship game where he was in, and I think he and that was in October, I think maybe November. I think he's gained size and weight since then, and it's reported he has. He looks way way bigger than even he did at the beginning of last year. Um, what scouts really like about him, I mean, plus runner, maybe. I mean, a plus defense, some people might even call it, you know, a 70-grade defense there. Um, they really love that. And at shortstop, he's going to stick at shortstop there. They see the bat speed. He's got great bat-to-ball skills there. The power is a little bit there. Um, you're going to hope as he builds out, he's going to maybe gain more power. You know, hopefully you'd like him to just stay around average there. Um, he does have an aggression at the plate, um, which, you know, him being 18 years old in high A, um, not only, again, is that a, a big pitcher's league there, but, you know, he's facing college, you know, experienced players who might be 22, and here he is, he was 18. So that's what scouts really keep riding him on there is that, you know, you've got an 18-year-old who wasn't very good at all in the Carolina League there. But then again, you know, he was able to compete. He played every day. Defense was great, and then they just – are projecting him, and that's it. And um, I think best case for him is Elvis Andrus, which would be spectacular. I mean, he was really, really good from ages like 20 to 24. Hasn't been as good the past few years, but I mean, that would be spectacular, Elvis Andrus. Yeah, it seems like he. I mean, if it's kind of if he continues to develop, to develop uh, he'd be ready. I think just about the time yeah. Cedis Escobar's contract would expire. So that's right. uh, that'd be yeah, it'd be huge if he turned into that kind of player. That'd be yeah. you know all star all starish caliber type shortstop, which I think would be huge for this franchise, especially considering how much they emphasize strength up the middle. Right. Uh, we've talked a lot about some of the top prospects, but is there are there maybe some under the radar sleeper prospects that each of you guys like to tout or kind of rooting for here in 2015? We'll start with uh, Matthew. Um, yeah. Before before I get there, uh, I just had a question for Sean. Um, what do you think uh, is a reasonable time frame for people to get worried about uh, Mondesi? Uh, if he doesn't produce for the next couple yeah. of years, um, 
feel like he would have to, and just off my gut, I feel like he would have to repeat double A. And and if he hits that league twice, then I think you should really start worrying. I don't know if he'll go to double A this year. I mean, to start the season, I think he hits double A this year. Um, but I think if he's 21, and he'll be 19 this year. So I think if he's, you know, maybe 20, 21, double A, still struggling, you know, the defense is probably always going to be there. But at some point, you know, you're going to think, oh, man, is he glove only? Um which is he's got a spectacular glove, but right. he still can hit a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think if he gets to Double A, plays there twice, still no back comes around. You know, at by age twenty one or so, you've got to kind of be worrying about it. And he's already seen a bit of a fall off of some prospects list. He's dropped a bit, and some of them are saying, "Hey, come on, the bat needs to come around." It's been you know two years since he's had um, even a, a near you know average line there. So. Yeah, that's. I think uh, John Sickles had him ranked 106. I think, which yeah. is kind of, kind of shocking because yeah, everyone has pretty much had him in their top 50 at least. Right, right. right. So. Um, yeah, so uh, underrated prospects. Um, I think one of them could be uh, Chesler Cuthbert. I think people have sort of forgot about him, but you know he's he's pretty uh, pretty high up in the minors, and you know though he may not be a star, I think uh, you know if the bat plays out, he could be an underrated, if not. Um, you know, particularly impactful player, but I think he could be somebody who, who could play in the majors uh, reasonably soon uh, and make an impact, a positive impact, if if you had to. Do you see um, him as a as a utility guard? Do you think he he's not going to be able to transition to other positions? Uh, I mean, it depends on what they use. He probably, uh, I mean, I don't think he will be that great at second base, but. Uh, the Royals employed uh, Unieski Betancourt and uh, <laughs> Chris Getz, so uh, I I don't think that's that's too big of a deal. I think if if he can hit, he'll be pretty pretty useful. Although he will need to find another position because uh, first base, at least for the next couple of years, will be Hosmer and, and Morales, and uh, you know who knows, maybe Butler uh, in, in four years. From <laughs> return now. for return, huh? Yeah, the return um, of the king. That that's that's one way to put it. Um, the person that I want to succeed more than anybody is Scott Blewett solely because of his name. I want him to become a closer so bad. So some, some journalist can put that Blewett Blewett, um, and everybody will head palm, face palm, just collectively. But it will be great. Andy McCulloch, he will not, he will not succumb to that. He'll probably make a snide remark about it. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Who, who you're kind of under the radar guys? Um, I really like. It's counterintuitive to um, someone who likes scouting, but I really like Christian Benford, and I was thinking about him the other day. Uh, man, the velocity is extremely underwhelming, but the dude has just pitched successfully at ev- at pretty much every single level with him now being in Omaha. Um, I don't think he's a starter. I think he eventually needs to be a reliever um, just because they're just going to pray or the major league hitters are going to prey on him you know once you get to the third fourth fifth inning later you know a couple times with the order there but man i really like christian benford for maybe making some sort of appearance uh for 2015 there what's, um, what's the obstacle with him not is it just the velocity yeah i mean it's just i mean a uh, high 80s maybe 90 91 fastball um and that's really kind of it <laughs> i mean it's really amazing how you know, you look at Mondesi, and he's all tools, little um, little stats. 
and Benford's like basically no tools except for his just extreme command and um, you know all stats. So it's just really amazing what he's done for being a guy who just doesn't have intimidating stuff. Um, and he's just going to be, I think he's like uh, Edward uh, Muiko or, or uh, Mark Melanson kind of idea. Um, but that would be great if he turns out to that. He's kind of my guy that I'm cheering for that, you know, doesn't get the love that maybe he could be somewhat of a cromulent bullpen piece. Hmm. I think uh, two names, I, two guys I think of uh, as a uh, Chase Below, I think is how you pronounce it. The uh, yes. catcher they took uh, earlier, early rounds last year, and uh, uh, he's a catcher out of Louisiana. Uh, just great raw power for an organization that just needs raw power. Uh, strikes out, and we talked about Bubba striking out. Uh, Velo has kind of the same issue where he strikes out a lot. But he still had better numbers, I think, especially at a young age in rookie ball. Um, I don't know if he sticks at catcher. I know he already played some first base with travel teams in high school. Um so he may be a guy that ends up at first base, but just having that kind of power in the organization, I think, is a really good thing. Uh, and then another guy, kind of like you know, I don't know if probably won't pan out to anything, but he's an intriguing story. Is a pitcher by the name of Nicholas Stevenson, and it's a Nicholas N I K L A S, and he's a guy that when he signed was undrafted, they signed him out of college and uh, put up terrible numbers, but then he has this unique workout regimen with the weighted balls, and somehow he's been able to increase his velocity from I think the low to mid eighties to low nineties, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll be really curious to see whether or not that performance can kind of carry over this year or whether he's just kind of a nice story that I read in baseball America once. I don't know. Uh, is there any, are there any other prospects you guys want to touch upon? Um, with Stevenson, yeah, I mean, he was he was mid eighties. Now he's up to mid nineties. I mean, he's fastball only, but still, it's just great. I mean, it's just a cool story there. Yeah. Matt, anybody you like in particular, anyone else? Um, not somebody that I think is going to make an impact for a long time, but I'm really intrigued by the story of uh, the Italian shortstop, Martin Gasparini. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really interesting move by the Royals to go out and get uh, get somebody from such a, a weird place. Uh, they want basically. the Italian market. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Um, and the Royals... Uh, one of the Royals, the things that the Royals have done really well, um, I think, without question, in Moore's reign, has uh, been uh, offshore talent, getting Salvador Perez and Giordano Ventura and taking chances on guys. And I think that's um, looking at places like Italy and Europe um, is both really interesting and uh, one of the places that teams might be overlooking. Um, so, I mean, it'll it'll see it'll, – it'll be years before the guy um, – gets to anywhere near the majors but um if he does he'll be one of the first uh europeans to to play um and and be uh recruited in the way that he was um so i'm just really intrigued by him and he was a shortstop and was he, did he make it to lexington last year in louis or is it did he not make it that far i don't i don't, um, I don't remember off the top of my head uh but, i'm not sure he um he, but he's he's still really young. From what yeah, I'm he saying. is. He's like sixteen or seven. Sixteen, I think, wasn't he? Sixteen. Yeah, he may be like eighteen by now. He's seventeen now. Yeah, he only 17. made it. To, he made it to Burlington. Burlington. Which, okay. Yeah. So he's he's, right. he's a long way away, but yeah, right. definitely fun guy to kind of follow and root yeah. for. And uh, yeah, I think I saw some some Instagram or tweet where he was 
So the guys took him to like some terrible Italian restaurant <laughs> in, <laughs> in Iowa somewhere. So yeah, he's getting he's getting uh, uh, he's getting acculturated to American cuisine. I'm sure. So. And he speaks he speaks English, Italian, and Spanish too, which is kind of cool. That I mean, wow. hopefully it assimilates well, you know, with Spanish speakers, especially you in, in the rookie balls and the low levels there, where he's going to have to hang out with them. Well, we need um, some, we need someone to uh, replace Jeremy Guthrie as team trainer. Yeah, so, that's okay. right. I uh, I also like Ryan O'Hearn as another kind of name out there. Yeah, that's a guy um, too. Yeah, he went. The thing I always remember is that he went, you know, five for five with a home run in his very first debut. Which I mean, he was kind of a no name, not necessarily a no name, but he was a kind of a later round draft pick there. Um, big fan of O'Hearn. The the bat, the the hit tool isn't quite there yet, but the power is, and I think he fits best in right field um, in the in the end there. Um, and then what do you guys think about uh, – I think it's pronounced Yandel Gustave. What do you guys think about uh, him? Is he going to stay or – The Rule 5 guy from yeah. uh, Houston originally. I guess we got him in a trade from Boston. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love the pick. I mean, I, even before the draft, I, I identified as like, that, that's a guy that could be pretty intriguing. Now, I said also, we don't need any relievers, but for a team that would need relievers, that would be a really intriguing pick. And I, I don't know what the odds of him sticking are. I mean, they – they kind of have – they've been flirting with the idea of an eight-man bullpen, which seems a little excessive. But if Very they have an eight-man pen, that, that maybe that allows them to keep a guy like Gustav that can throw 100 miles per hour, but he's coming up from low A-ball, which is a huge jump. Uh, I don't know. What, do you have a better sense of uh, whether or not they'll keep him, Matthew? Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think he'll make the roster. Um, he, he can't teach velocity, and that's really important. Um, so I, I think he might be a good bullpen piece. And, again, if this was like three years ago for the Royals, four years ago, um, they'd probably keep him. But uh, the bullpen is just really good and really deep. Um, and something about the bullpen that I think is really kind of crazy is if uh, Greg Holland, Wade Davis, and Kelvin Herrera, and then uh, Fraser and Luke Hochaver comes back and is good, and then Chris Medlin comes back and is good. That's an awful lot of, like, top-tier yeah, bullpen. like that could be even better than this past year's bullpen because outside of the big three, the Chimera or the Law Firm or whatever you want to call them, Cerebrus. <laughs> yeah, um, they they weren't very good, but I think even if uh, Holland, Herrera, and Davis won't be as good, I think the rest of the bullpen will be better. Um, so that's I th- I think the bullpen might actually get better this year, but we'll see. Well, that would be amazing if that happened, and. Uh... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens with the bullpen. It'll be a nice problem to have if they just have too many guys that are, are good for the bullpen. And meanwhile, we're looking over Detroit, and their their bullpen's on fire. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a nice problem to have. Well, uh, you know, well, I'm sure we'll have a lot of time to talk about uh, the Royals coming up this season. I think it'll be a fun season, and uh, we'll definitely have both of, you, uh, both of you back on to talk Royals baseball. And thanks for, again, uh, for being on the show today. Yep, absolutely. All right. Thank you. See you. Thanks a guys. Joining me now is uh, Chris Kamler. If you follow the Royals on Twitter, you surely know him as the better as the fake Ned, which is originally a parody account of Ned Yost. Uh, Chris is also a writer, and you can read his work at the Kansas City Post, as well as the Platte County Landmark, and he writes occasionally for Pine Top Press. Uh, he's written a book called The Silence, the series, The Summer of Sung Woo, uh, about the Royals' amazing run last year, and is 
unique experience as part of the welcoming committee for Sungwoo Lee, the Korean superfan who traveled all the way to Kansas City last summer, just about the time the team got hot for its punt run. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And uh, congratulations on the book. It seems to be going very well. We like seeing you out in a suit around town. Uh, your uh, your book centers really around the events of last summer, although you kind of weave some some other stories from from the past and, as well. Uh, but it was, it's about the summer where you were part of the welcoming committee to bring Sungwoo Lee to Kansas City. Uh, how did that How did that all start with Sungwoo? First of all, how if anyone isn't familiar with the story of Sungwoo Lee, I'm kind of briefly touch upon who he is and how you got to know him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sungwoo Lee is a uh, is a Royals fan. He, uh, he lives in Seoul, South Korea. He started following Major League Baseball, uh, I think he told me in middle school, uh, about 20 years ago. And he follow, started following it because he wanted to learn English. And baseball English is a pretty easy version of English to learn. So he began listening to games on uh, Armed Forces Radio and later on uh, you know, MLB.com and all that stuff. Um, so he, he he started following Major League Baseball about 20 years ago, and he you know as as, as you do you have to pick a team. So uh, he decided to pick the Royals. He says it was because they were the underdogs, and uh, it you know remembering back to the Royals of 20 years ago, they were uh, they were certainly the underdogs. So uh, he, he he fell in love with the team. He actually told me a story once about uh, Jeff King. He watching Jeff King. Hit a home run in Kauffman Stadium, then Royal Stadium, and seeing fireworks go off, and uh, him saying, you know, someday I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to, to where, to where that he hit that home run, and, and that became kind of a bucket list item for him. And uh, you know, sure enough, uh, it, it, 20 years later, it, it, he was able to, to check that off the list. Um, I, I got to know him a few years ago through Twitter. Um, just like many of us have gotten to know many others through Twitter, it's been a it's a really cool uh, little community that we've got. But um, a couple of years ago, you know, you'll re- recall this is the, the days before James Shields and before uh, you know be- before the kind of the uh, the reawakening. Uh, the Royals were terrible, <laughs> and uh, Royals Twitter was a dumpster fire, and we were <laughs> we were pretty fired up. And some there, some might argue it still is a dumpster fire. It's oh just no, team, it's, it's just the team that improved. <laughs> absolutely a dumpster fire, but that's okay. Um, but you know, there was kind of this voice in the wilderness that was uh, extremely positive. And you know, you you see positive people all the time, and you think you know maybe they're maybe they got a screw loose, or maybe they're just you know whatever. <laughs> this this guy seemed. Uh, uniquely genuine and so i reached out to him a couple of years ago and i wrote an article about him for for my blog uh at the time and you know i called him the fan of the year you know whatever and uh we, we developed a friendship this was probably about three years ago and and uh that friendship uh continued to blossom through twitter he got to know danny duffy he got to know uh danny parkins from 610 and you know several of uh, others and all of us were like, dude, you need to come to Kansas City. This is, you know, this is your team. You know everything about these guys. He's like, oh, no, I can't get off work. <laughs> and that's so what people, I, you know, I don't know if people understand how hard it is to get off work. I mean, 
not only just to travel all the way to the United States, but I mean, just just to get a vacation at all in Korea is is a pretty huge obstacle. It seems like extremely rare for them to take time for themselves, um, right. and, and that's a, a lot of cultural things there. But uh, sure enough, he found himself between jobs, um, changing kind of companies, changing uh, locations where he was working. His father had been ill, so he took a couple of months off. He kind of between jobs, and, and sure enough, he emailed us in June. I think this was June. Emailed myself, Dave Darby, and a couple other folks, and said, "I'm coming." And we had, you know, we had checked in with him every month and said, "Hey, man, when are you coming? When are you coming?" Oh, I'm never coming. I'm never going to be there. And sure enough, he sent us his email. Hey, we're, hey, I'm coming. So um, there was a, probably about five or six of us, and, and we were this informal uh, little committee. And you know, we didn't know if he spoke English. We didn't know if he, <laughs> you know, if he, uh, you know, needed a place to stay or really anything. So we kind of just decided to take him under under our wing. And uh, then I got involved and know, blew it out of proportion and all that. But uh, uh, the rest, as, as they say, is somewhat history because it it just happened to coincide with one of the greatest runs in Major League Baseball history. Um, and it happened the night he landed. So, you know, <laughs> it, it turns into a pretty cool story. To the end. Well, what's really remarkable to me about it all is that just, this, just the amount of trust needed because, I mean, you're essentially meeting – strangers from the internet. And every time I think we think of strangers from the internet, we think of bad, scary things. I mean, in the book, you kind of say that you had to make sure to yourself that it wasn't some elaborate catfish prank of some British lady. (laughs) And I think it had to take a lot of trust on his part as well to not think that these are people putting him on in Kansas City that, you know, we're going to take him in and and like murder him or something. I mean, did you ever kind of stop during this whole planning process and say, wait a minute, this is just crazy. What are we doing here? You know, I'm not sure if we stopped and and considered that. We were extremely uh, concerned that that the the culture or the language barrier would be an issue. We had we had reached out to a couple of, uh, you know, high schools and, you know, said, hey, do you have any uh, Korean kids that could come and interpret for us this week and stuff like that? I remember being very concerned about that because I I, I knew, you know, if I got dropped off in the middle of, of uh, you know, Germany, I, I would I, <laughs> I would just crawl into a fetal position and die. So, um, turns out he got off the plane, speaks really decent English, um, uh, much better than me after a couple of years. <laughs> um, and you know, we we ended up not needing the kids, and you know, he's he's doing literally he's seconds off the plane and he's doing interviews with the television, you know, places. And, and <laughs> I think that's part of the charm is that he, he was so charming and, and uh, uh, you know, he continues to just be just, you know, you just want to put him in your pocket, and carry him around. <laughs> he's a fantastic guy to talk to. No, I think you're right. He was absolutely a great ambassador and he just, he really just seemed to take everything in stride. I mean, I, I got a chance to come out, just to meet him briefly when uh, when he came to the the Giants game and I mean just everyone wanted a piece of him you know not in a bad way but they, you know they oh. wanted to give him things or take a picture with him and if you had yeah, like if you say if you had dropped me off in the middle of Germany and I didn't really know the language that well and uh, you know there were people you know I was speaking my second language and people kept wanting to make requests of me I don't know if I would have 
taken it nearly as gracious as he did. I mean, that no, time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. After about two days of that, I would have started punching people. But, sure. it, you know, it, every day it took it, it, every day had its own, like, peculiarity. The very first day, I read about this in the book, the very first day, you know, we get off the plane, he lands like at 5.30. And we go down uh, a couple of exits down to this sports bar that's, that's there, a pizza place. And because he wants to, I think the Royals were on the West Coast. He just wanted to watch the game. So, you know, he lands at seven, seven or eight. We have a couple of beers, and and uh, you know, this guy, this guy heard that he had landed on the radio. <laughs> and he, he's been in country for forty-five minutes, and the guy stops by me and buys a pie, and just try, you know, drives into the to the you know place that we're at. And he, he hands him a pie. And I said, "What are you doing?" He says. You're in America. You need a pie, and, and you know that if that would be weird enough, but every day seemed to trump that. Somebody would come <laughs> up and and give him, you know, something crazy, and and he, you know, he went home with a suitcase full of just stuff, and and uh, you know, a very charmed deal. But he, he was just so genuine. He was really, really touched at every single thing that somebody gave him. And, you know, I think that that was my biggest takeaway is, is how he handled it with such grace and such, uh, uh, you know, just just genuine love. And that love was returned, you know, exponentially. Yeah. And, and I've never seen anything like it. I, I've absolutely never seen anything like it. And I probably never will. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did notice. And it was very, very small minority. I mean, I think most, most people well, you know, he's very well received. I think there was a little pushback from people that didn't, didn't know the situation and thought maybe he was getting special treatment because he was a new fan. When that's not the case at all. I mean, like you say, he's been a fan for 20 years. And not only is he a fan, he's a hardcore fan. I mean, you talk a little bit about, about your trip. He wanted to see a minor league game in double A Northwest Arkansas. And I'm a big fan, but man, like Ethan Chapman, I couldn't tell you anything about Ethan Chapman. I couldn't pick Edison uh, Rincon out of the lineup. But that's you, know, a, that's you write a, him; he knows all the players. That's a great story because that—that's exactly what I tell people. They're like, ah, oh, you know, this guy flew over, and you know, why, why do we have to roll out the car red carpet for this guy? Well, once you understood, so. Uh, I'll, I'll tell this story briefly. We, we, we did, we drove down, uh, to Northwest Arkansas. I think Omaha was, was, uh, was away. They were on the West Coast or something. So, you know, it's three and a half hours down and, you know, they were talking in the car and they were so gracious to us. There, there was probably about 10 or 15 of us that, that ended up being down there. They invited us, they invited Sun Woo down to batting practice, which, you know, you don't normally, do, but, but he's, he's coming up to Chesler Cuthbert, you know, other guys and, hey, that's who, and he knew these guys off, off of site. And this is the double A, you know, Royals roster. And so, you know, you, you imagine that he's just combing through, you know, baseball prospectus and, you know, all these websites and, and for him to know these guys off, off of, uh, off a of site. So we, we invited Vance Wilson, their manager, and it's very burly, kind of like, uh, marine, ex-marine type, type look, you know, really. And so he, he invites the three or four of us into the clubhouse and they're eating dinner and they're, you know, it's between batting practice and the game. So they're eating dinner. They're just kind of relaxing. Vance Wilson walks, walks into the center and says, Hey guys, listen up. 
this guy came a long way to meet all of you. I'd like you to come up and say hi to him. But one by one, they all, you know, get up and, and introduce and shake their hand. And I'll be damned if, if, if he didn't pick off 90% of the guys by sight. Uh, or, and, and if he didn't, he just, you know, all the guy had to say is, hey, I'm, you know, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I know you're a third base. And so we're walking through, we're finishing up, and they're getting ready, you know, they're starting to change for the for the game. And there's this guy who had been in the back working out. And I, I, I think it was Renko. Um, and, and and so he says, uh, you're Edison Renko. You, you play uh, third base. I think I'm going to get the positions wrong, but you play third base. He says, uh, no, man, I play the outfield. I'm, I'm standing behind him like, ah, oh, you know, the dog got it. He almost got him all right. <laughs> and, and you know, he, the, so I was like, no, you're a third baseman. You, you play third base. No, no, man, I, I play the outfield. I play the outfield. And it, it turned into like a little weird thing. And so we walk out. You know, we're walking back to our seats. One of the clubbies pulls us aside. Says, yeah, Ritko just just got transferred to the outfield. <laughs> he couldn't play third base. So, so Sungwoo's information was accurate. It just was a little bit uh, untimely. And, <laughs> Struck a nerve. <laughs> he says, and, and Rincon's a little mad about it. So, <laughs> what was going on? So he's a he's a better fan than not just you know, not just your normal fan. He's he's an uber uber fan. So so that's what I tell people when they're like, you know, what's this guy? What's his deal? Yeah, no, he's he's legit. So, so he comes off the airport, and and you've got a, a you know handful of media there. What at what point during that week does it kind of dawn on you? Oh man, this is becoming a pretty big deal <laughs> because it just exploded. I mean, you talk about media requests from the New Yorker. Uh, you know, you get contacted by a filmmaker from ESPN. Uh, you know, he ends up on Sports Center. It it just it just seems like it just snowballed. What at what point were you just like? This is this is huge. It it yeah, about twenty points throughout the week. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you, it, it really hit me with about like day three. I think I, the days kind of run together. But day three, we're touring Kansas City, and we just kind of got in our car and drove around uh, during the day, and we ended up at the Liberty Memorial at the uh, the World War One Museum. And we walk in, and they know who he is by sight. This is day three. And they're like, oh, here. And they give him this you know, commemorative coin that they don't give out to a lot of other people. And so we go up to the top of the, the Liberty Memorial. And, and if you've ever been up there, if you've ever been in Kansas City, it, it's a little bit like going up in the Arch in St. Louis. It, it's cramped. It, it's narrow. And at the very top of it, there's, there's a ring around it that you can – you probably only fit about 10 people comfortably up there. It's single file. So there's me and him and like two other people in our party. So there's about four of us in our party and there's an elderly couple and then there's like a younger couple. So we're all standing on there. We're looking at the, we're looking at the, uh, you know, the skyline of Kansas City and both couples, the elderly couple and the younger couple both come up and ask for a, for a, a selfie with him at the top of the Liberty Memorial on day three of this insane trip. And I, that that was the moment I knew that it had gone, you know, it, it had gone past Twitter. <laughs> it had gone past, you know, the blogs that I read every day. It had gone past even, you know, a little thing in the newspaper. This was 
every single person in Kansas City knew who this guy was. And it, it was just insanity uh, from that point forward. Well, not, and not just even Kansas City. I mean, my uh, sister lives in Washington, D.C., and yep. she and I posted. A, I got to take a picture with Sung Woo, and I posted on my Facebook page. And she said, uh, "Wow, you got to meet him! You <laughs> like, got to meet like, him. He was yeah, some big celebrity." And she, I was like, "Wow, I didn't know you guys had heard about him on the East Coast." She's like, "Yeah, it's been it's been on Sports Center. It's been I think there was a thing in the New York Times about it." I was like, well, "Okay, that's, that's pretty awesome." The New York Times. They had a thing on NPR, and so, so you're you know you're meeting people that that aren't necessarily hardcore Royals fans or aren't aren't even Royals fans, and right. so. That's kind of the cool thing, you know. These these old ladies come up to you. Oh, I saw you on the news. Yeah, they don't know who the Royals are, but uh, they know who Sung Woo Lee is. I, and that was that was really cool. But the love that was shown by this town is is really something that I I think uh, has changed me for the rest of my life. I, I you know I I grew up here my entire life. I you know 42 years old. You know I'm I'm a miserable grumpy old man now and. I just I, I was not prepared for how much uh, love <laughs> and what a what a hug this town gave that man and, and it was just it was startling and it was you know something that I'm never going to be the same uh, after seeing that that outpouring of, of love and, and, uh, and emotion. And what was really cool about it too is it was kind of the catalyst for we could say it was a catalyst for their you know their success in the field, but I think what it really was is kind of a catalyst for uh, just the, the city coming together for the postseason run because, uh, I mean, what I'll remember from that entire year is, you know, not just the Sungwoo trip, which is which is awesome, but just how the whole city just for two months there, we were all together, and I got to experience such cool things with my friends and family and meeting new new Royals fans and new friends, uh, you know, meeting Sungwoo, uh I think it was just a great, great month and uh, great two months there. And uh, I don't know, talk about you got to go to some of the postseason games. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was amazing. It, it was incredible. And you know, I, I I think I've spoken about this before. Is that I'm I'm a little myth that I didn't enjoy it more. I guess I I was I I you know, just personally I was kind of. Um, I, I was, you know, just hectic and busy. Although the the wild card game was that was that was the moment that I, I after the game I stood there. It was, and, you know, you talk about meeting new, new people, and this is I'm not I'm certainly not trying to name drop, but but I went to the to the wild card game with Randy Gisarelli and a guy by the name of Alex Robinson who works for Major League Baseball, and you know they they. You know, Randy and I had kind of a, a love-hate relationship on Twitter, and, and Alex uh, kind of knew my Twitter account and offered me and, and, and Randy some tickets. And and you know, so I got to watch the Wild Card game with one of the you know the greatest baseball minds in in uh, in the country, and then a, you know a guy that works for Major League Baseball. And so, so we're we're that was an event in and of itself. But I, I, we're standing there after the game, and I. It, so those two both disappeared, and the crowd starts to thin out. And I'm still just, I'm just standing there, just mouth wide open. I just, I was tingling. I was just, it was, you know, like like I'd been electrocuted. It was. It took me an hour probably to leave the stadium just because I, I didn't know where my keys were. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I, I just didn't know whatever. It was 
to, to see that team that, that you've seen, um, you know, I was in game seven of that 1985 World Series and it was, you know, I was younger. To, but to see it as, as a mature person, like relatively mature person, was, I, it just striking. It was really, really amazing. So you've been a fan, kind of, you've run the gamut. You've got, you grew, kind of grew up with a, the 70s juggernaut and the, the team that kind of capped it off with the 85 World Series, but then you had the, the, the Valleys that we all, you know, a lot of us experienced for, from 1995 to, you know, up until a couple years ago. Uh, you know, what, first of all, what, what kind of got you into baseball in the first place when the, back in the 70s with, when the, you started following the Royals and, and does it, does going through all those bad years, you know, we never wish that on anyone, but does it kind of make it maybe a little sweeter that, that they, you know, they were able to finally reach the World Series last year? No, the bad years were awful. No, I, I, I'm an, I, I live in a baseball family. Uh, we, we, we just, we just do. Uh, my dad's been, my dad was my first coach. Um, he and I both have, have worked for, uh, the, the Lily Baseball, North Kansas City Baseball League, um, for the last 30 years off and on. I, I'm managing their umpires and he managed the, he directed the league. We're just a baseball family. It's just we eat, breathe, and sleep it. And so my earliest memories are of the Royals. Uh, going to games, he worked for Power and Light, so he had Power and Light seats, so they were pretty decent. Um, you know, we went there three or four or five times a year um, down behind the dugout, and, you know, or, or at second tier, um, screaming at John Mayberry because he was my favorite uh, player. Um, I tell a story that when Chris Chambliss hit the home run and, and I think it was 76, um, to, to, to win the, uh, the ALCS over the Royals, I cried. I, I cried for like a day. Uh, you know, I would have been four or five, but, you know, that's, that was my saddest, <laughs> saddest memory of all time and will, and will always be my saddest memory. Um, so. Growing up at the at the at top, and there's there's a, a relatively long chapter in the book about my cousin and I um, growing. We grew up at Royal State. We just we were those idiot kids that were unsupervised, and we just ran up and down the, the spirals. And uh, you know, we <laughs> ask for a, you know go over to the dugouts, dugouts, you know, bullpens, and ask for baseballs. My cousin must have had. 200 baseballs in his house that he just collected from, from the stadium. So, uh, yeah, just, it, I just, I've grown up, grown up with the Royals every year. And there's not a, not a year that I, I probably haven't been to two, 10 games. And, and there's, there's not a year that, uh, I haven't, you know, watched over a hundred of them or listened to a hundred. And it's just, um, it, it's been part of me it, through the good and the bad. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, um, the bad years so much because it's still baseball. It's still baseball on the radio. It's still baseball on, on TV. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have sucked if they were not terrible for 28 of those years. But, uh, you know, I got excited when we signed Mark and Storm Davis. I got excited <laughs> when we, you know, when we signed Unieski Betancourt for the second time. But, uh, <laughs> At least it gives you something to tweet about, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, it absolutely is job security. So it's good. No, I, I, uh, it's my team, man. It's, it's just uh, it, it, it's a very important part of my life. I've you know had the privilege the last couple of years to see it from different angles, you know, from the press box and from other things. And 
about those experiences make makes me love that team any less. Well, it's it's really awesome to see the longtime fans finally kind of get rewarded, and uh, and, and some of the you know it's also nice to see the new fans kind of see what this team can be, and and also see that their fan base can come out because I think I mean, there are a lot of kids that grew up, that have grown up always knowing the Royals as losers, and you know you and I remember the Royals being a good team in eighty uh, in the eighties, and I I remember asking my dad for World Series tickets when the Royals signed Mark Davis because I thought they would be uh, <laughs> yeah. I oh, they'd yeah. be really good, you know absolutely. But, uh, Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, hopefully it won't be another 29 years before they make it back to the World Series. Uh, let's kind of turn to, uh, to the, the team this year. Uh, I mean, even following up on their offseason transactions, they, they have a lot of the same team, but of course we, we're missing some, some key parts in Billy Butler and, uh, especially James Shields. How do you, uh, what's your kind of your outlook on the team going in this year? Well, you know, I, I haven't still kind of, I think we're all kind of in a waiting period. I, I, I don't know if the, the new arms are going to um, be as good, although they're, you know, that the back of that bullpen is is, is just a crushing blow to anybody. Um, I think our offense is going to be a little bit better, um, and, and, and I realize that Mike Moustakis is still going to be as part of that offense, but I, I think... We can't make it worse, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think he's going to come up a little bit. I think this is a make-or-break year for Eric Cosmer. I think this is a make-or-break year. Well, it's probably, I mean, make-or-break probably last year for Alex Gordon. But I think the, those, that core, now that you've lost your two leaders, and, and say what you will about Billy Butler, but he was the person that the media all rushed to first in the, after the game. He was the person that, you know, was kind of the the poster child when it wasn't James Shields. Both of those guys are now gone. So you've got either a, like a Gerard Dyson who, or, or Lorenzo Kane that, you know, do a lot of talking, but uh, maybe not leadership. Uh, you know, so you've got Alex Gordon who's super, super quiet um, and, and leads by example. Uh, so who's going to step up and be the leader of that team? You, you know, you, you could you could see Kane uh, off of that uh, that MVP performance. You could see um, one of the pitchers stepping up. Uh, Salvador Perez is certainly uh, amazing. Although I think his offense is going to need to improve significantly. Uh, there's still a lot of question marks. Um, the, the the thing that does give me hope is that he didn't play well last year. It, it was it was in many respects kind of like the '85 team that wasn't the best Royals team of all time. I don't think right. anybody would argue that the 2014 Royals were the best Royals team of all time. They weren't. They were the best playoff Royals team of all time. Right. But uh, you know, so maybe maybe some of that clicked in, and, and, and I think uh, the other thing that that uh, really is is Nobody's talking about, and I, you know, I hate to hate to plug my guy, but but Ned Yost, <laughs> something clicked with that guy in in September, and he began to lead differently. He began to manage differently. He began to adjust in a different way than he's ever done before in his life. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. He's been an absolute darling since you know, all the quotes that I, I've seen or 
He seems to have a swagger to him this year. He's got a little it's, swagger. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I saw a quote. I'm going to box the quote, but uh, they were asking him about Lorenzo came back in third. He says, yeah, you know, I mean, you do what you want, but at the end of the day, we're still American League champions. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And so, you know, they got a little swagger. Now, Now, you know, we saw in, in 2003, you know where they where they had that great season in 2004 with the with the third. We we saw them recoil, and I think there's a lot of prognosticators right now who are picking them pretty pretty well. But uh, I don't think the Tigers got any better this year. I don't I don't think the the Twins got any better this year. You know the Indians and, and White Sox. Uh, you know they don't they don't put the fear of God into me. They're not the Tigers of two years ago. Uh, so you know hey. Step up. Let's let's see what can happen. I I don't see why not. Um, you know, I think it'll just it'll. We'll have to see. I I, I don't have a, a prediction per se, uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think they'll do. They'll they'll be in it at the end. And if this team could catch that lightning in a bottle like they did last year, which is difficult, uh, I think they'll be fine. They certainly have that veteran. Um, Swagger, like you mentioned, uh, they they kind of have that swagger that uh, you know that confident team is better than a not confident team. I don't <laughs> care who you are. So yeah, and, uh, yeah, I think and it's just nice to be in a position where we can talk about oh yeah, if things go right, they can actually make the playoffs without sounding, sounding totally crazy. I mean, I used to love uh, Joe Posnanski's optimistic. Uh, column every year where he looked, you know, try to look at the 2004 Royals, 2005 Royals, and see how it could all work out. And it just, you know, it was all pie in the sky. Well, this year, it, it you know, I don't know if they're, the, you know, they're certainly not the odds on favor, but I, I think it's, it wouldn't be unreasonable at all to see them take the division and make and make the playoffs again for sure. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll uh, we'll see you out of Coughlin Stadium this year, and I know we'll be following you on Twitter to get uh, your, all your takes on the Royals and Ned Yost and. Uh, uh, knock him down a peg or two after after all that swagger. But, uh, <laughs> we wish you the best of luck with the book, and uh, thanks again for being on the show. And you can find Chris Camler's book, The Silence, the series, The Summer of Sungwoo, at Camler Book. That's K A M L E R Book dot com, as well as Area Rally Houses and uh, Kansas Samplers, and the KU Bookstore as well. And you can also find it on Amazon dot com. And uh, Chris Camler, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Max. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, again, I want to thank our guests, Matthew, Sean, and Chris Kamler for appearing today. And I'd also like to thank the Fleshlights for providing the music for our podcast. You can find links to some of the things we talked about on our site at royalsreview.com, which is where you, where you can find our Royals commentary on a daily basis. Uh, our podcasts are also available now on iTunes if you want to subscribe there. Now that the season's getting started pretty quickly, uh, we hope to get podcasts going about every two weeks, so look for the next podcast uh, at the end of the month, right before the uh, season starts. Again, I'm your host, Max Reaper, and thank you for listening to Royals Review Radio. Middle-aged youth, middle-aged youth. Middle-aged youth, middle-aged youth.